Hi, you're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. On this podcast, we discuss our relationship with food, whether it is easy or less so, and how it affects our behaviour. I suffered with eating disorders for years, and it took everything to pull through. Now that I'm at the other side, I want to open up the conversation, find out how other people manage this basic and most fundamental of relationships. I'm taking a light approach, but I think if this area of our lives is skewed, then so is the rest. It's never just about food. Hi, welcome back to season two of this Food Thing podcast. Today I'm talking to Katie Barbaro. Katie is an intuitive guide, a stand-up comedian, author and author of Fed Up, an illustrated guide to food freedom, which is her cartoon-based memoir detailing her journey from disordered eating to recovery and liberation. Katie is passionate about sharing her story and helping others, which is why I'm delighted to say, Katie, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Gemma. I'm so happy to be here. I would like you, yes, what's your, um, can you explain what an intuitive guide is? (laughs) Perfect. Yes. I was thinking that when you read the introduction, I was like, oh, I did give her that title. Um, It's really interesting. I I have a background as an occupational therapist and um, a lot of people aren't familiar with that as either, but just to back up a little bit, it's um, essentially a, the profession's created to help people live more meaningful lives. And so that has very heavily influenced my lens. And um, on my my journey of recovery, I've felt very called to help people um, in their own life, like whatever, wherever they are really, um, to help land in a place of more truth and more uh, feeling like really good about being themselves. And so- okay. Yeah, that's that's what I do. And it doesn't have a specific form. Like saying occupational therapy doesn't feel quite accurate anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very individualized. Okay. Okay. Um, I understand occupational therapy and I understand intuitive guide. Um, so just, yes, just to clarify, are you – do people uh, use you as a, as a guide or as an occupational therapist? Right now, more as a guide. Um, okay, I'm okay. not. I'm not formally working as an occupational therapist, though. I'm still licensed. And <laughs> um, okay, wow, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, that was kind of part of my journey was taking, like, really decontextualizing my life in a big way, and that was one of the things that um, I stopped doing formally. But of course, it's like in my bones. I can't stop being an occupational therapist. So um, I definitely take that with me wherever I go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the perfect grounding, isn't it? So Mm. I clearly you've had, um, I always try not to use the word journey, but I only (laughs) ever come up with path and road and arc, but let's say, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say the journey word. You've obviously had quite a journey (laughs) with your eating disorders. Um, And so my question always for everybody is food, friend or foe. I imagine it's friend now, but I'm, you know, pretty sure it was probably foe. Can you talk about that? Sure. Great question. I I would definitely say food is friend now. I was like reflecting on this this morning, actually. I just had breakfast before our talk and yeah. 
so of course, like my, my mind was more centered around like, yeah, how do I feel while I'm eating? And yeah. I was, I was, um, I made myself a piece of toast that I was going to put, um, my plan was to have some jam and goat cheese on it. And then I tried the goat cheese and it tasted like, kind of like it went bad. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to just put something else on it that I put like peanut butter on. It was like, also I had eggs, like there was other parts of the breakfast, but I just reflected on that of like, I know that at some point in my, my, my J word, my journey, um, it would have been <laughs> like catastrophic if I was like, but I was planning on eating this food and it's like not good. And I'm, this is ruining my day. Oh my gosh. Meltdown. Like I, I can remember when like all of my, like everything was hanging on my food going well or my food being able to be controlled. And so when did that yeah, start? Actually made, oh, I would say, I would say it was most intensely when I was in grad school, actually, um, which is funny because it's like this very holistic profession, occupational therapy. Yeah. And I'm, I was at this place where for the first time, um, this was probably like 2011. Um, How old are you in grad school? I was about, I was probably like 23 or 24 then. Okay. 23. Okay. So not, you you didn't have issues when you were a teenager or, or when you were younger? Oh, I really Around hated food? my body. I, I did. Did you? I, okay. And I obsessed about food. Okay. I guess that's true. Yeah. I did. <laughs> like when I... <laughs> When I go back and read my diaries from when I was in second grade, like se seven years old, I would I would write down what I ate for dinner every night. And I remember thinking of food as good and bad. And I felt like my parents were feeding me bad food. Like, why would they let me eat a hamburger? I don't think that's healthier. You know, it was like, yeah, I, I kind of had this vague notion that food was uh, like like that there was a secret to how to figure out your food, but I didn't really act on it when I was a child. And like, why, what messages did yeah. you get from your parents? How, how were they feeding you and, and how did they eat? And what, what was going on in the family? Did you sit down and eat together? Was the, you know, because you're going to be modeling someone, aren't you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I guess the, the way that I saw my mom my mom with food where it wasn't even that it was never a full-blown eating disorder for her that was that she was like aware of but she always had a struggle like with her body and was always like dieting or feeling like she should be dieting and so the fact that she would tell me my body was perfect my body was fine but then wouldn't also believe that herself it was like I couldn't trust what she was telling me right yeah. right so it was yeah there there wasn't like any sort of direct um you know like messaging that I got that I was too big or that I was not right in my body if anything it was the exact opposite but I just internalized I was like convinced that there was something they were hiding from me yeah, I think also when you're, I mean, when you're a child, you're super sensitive and tuned in, aren't you? It kind of shuts down as we get older. And you know, you know if your parent's saying one thing and doing something different, 
Lee, and you know if you're you're you know, I think about my mum saying doing one thing and doing the other. I knew if she was lying or being inauthentic or, or mm. living differently from how she wanted me to live. And you you feel it, you feel the confusion, don't you? And it's a mixed message. Um, and it goes in, even though you're not able to cognitively sort of dissect it then. It goes in. You absorb it. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And I like doing inner child work, which is something that I've, you know, done again and again. And it's always something that whenever I hit a snag in my in my recovery or just in my life, you know, feeling triggered by okay. something, going back to doing some inner child work, like I often find, or recently actually I've found that my own self-rejection, like the tendency that I have to interpret things as a rejection of myself yeah. came, came from when I was in the womb and feeling like my mother was rejecting herself. And I felt that, and I felt that energy and I felt it being yeah. about me. And because she was putting on yeah. weight, do you think? Because she was pregnant. That could she have been had it. No control over her body. I've never even thought of it that way. That could totally have been it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. This like conditional love for ourselves. So what, so, okay. So there was stuff going on in the energetic soup of your household, like there is for everybody. So then you're at school and then you're, let's go to grad school then. Um, mm. And, and what happened? Did you, were you anorexic? Were you bulimic? Were you, or were you just obsessed about the food that you ate and how you ate it? And, and when? Yeah, that's when I became like the control master of the food universe that I had never been before because I, like I finally, uh, I asked my, my personal trainer, little brother about like, how do you actually lose weight? Like, I just want to do this once and for all. Like I've always wanted to lose weight. And, and he told me, he told me how to calorie restrict and how to, you know, working out, but really it's about how much you're eating. And I just adopted that like a religion. And I got Mm. on, I got the, the diet apps, you know, of like how to track your calories and like food became numbers and macros and it just stopped being food. It stopped being pleasurable. It was just about, um, like, you know, food as fuel, I guess was the, you know, which is so, so enforced by diet culture as well. Um, you know, yeah. there was, there was a lot supporting me in this obsession that I developed. Right. And it was, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I felt like, well, this is, this must be how people think and how people eat. And this is, this is how successful people do it. And it wasn't until later yeah, that I then developed bulimia as a sort of pendulum swing from this place of extreme control to, uh, I was, you know, I would, I would get out of control in binging. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that became, I was like, so disgusted with myself that I would make myself throw up. And so it was just this, you know, constant cycle of things that I'm doing wrong. Do you know what you were trying to get rid of? I completely understand about uh, that relentless control because it's impossible to maintain, isn't it? And then you just have to break free. But do you know what feelings you were trying to get rid of when you were throwing up? 
Do you know what you were trying to do? What were you trying to reset? Yes. Um, I was like put in touch with the deepest pain of my life. Um, when I probably like a month or two before I developed bulimia, maybe just a month actually before the first time. Um, and I had a really horrendous breakup, at least at the time that's, that's how it felt. Um, Hmm. I, I was with this man that I was sure I wanted to marry. This was when I was about 25 and we'd been together for, um, like four and a half years and I could see us, you know, getting married and having babies. And he was just like, I loved his family. I loved everything about him. I was just like, this is great. Mm. My life is so perfect. This is wonderful. Everything's good. You know, the mantra of a person who thinks they're in control. Um, and then I, um, I found out that he was cheating on me. I like found, (gasps) yes, (laughs) the, the sneaky intuition came in and was like, just check his messages. Just check them. I feel like you need to look and see what's in there. So I snooped and I found what I was afraid to find. And that, yeah, that was this huge, uh, paradigm shift for me where everything that I thought was true wasn't true or might not be true. Like I, I had such a sense of stability in that relationship and that I felt like deeply, deeply abandoned and rejected. And just like I, I questioned everything about my identity. Like I actually had to, because I was like, okay, I can see how the things that I thought I had in control, I actually don't. And did, yeah. Go on, sorry. No, did it no, work no. It's just for a while. It never did. It ever ever work for a while being bulimic. Um. Yeah. Especially when I I wasn't. I was in denial about it for a while. Like I was. Yeah. Uh, it it did. Like it actually for me. I always say like I'm I'm grateful that it got to that point because it actually set off a red flag that was like, I knew in my gut, this is not okay. Like this is not kind to myself. This is not love. Whereas with all of the dieting and control, I really normalized it. It felt very normal, but this was something that started as, okay, but it's just this one time. Okay. But it's just this one time. Like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it felt like a quick fix. And then that was just a sign I needed to hit a lower rock bottom before I'd wake up to the fact that like I was really hurting myself. And okay, we're going to yeah. take a quick break and we're going to be back in just a minute. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Hi, welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Katie Barbaro. And Katie was just talking about how she became bulimic when she was in grad school. And um, she got to a point, her rock bottom, I don't know if that was her rock bottom, where she just didn't want to hurt herself anymore. So I'd like to pick it up from there, please, Katie. Yes, thank you. Yeah, like the thing with bulimia is I had that feeling many times I would have this clarity that would come probably after 
a purge, that's like, okay, that's, that's the last time. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then of course it would happen again, but essentially those moments of waking up became longer and more lasting and more, uh, like I actually wanted to take steps to correct this. And the ways I tried to correct it were very controlling at first. Like I would make myself sticker charts. I would, you know, I tried going to therapy. I didn't connect as much with it at the time because I was in so such deep denial about my pain. Mm-hmm. But I found like essentially, you know, and actually one of the things that really resonated with me was Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Have you, yeah. are you familiar with that book? 100%. I started writing properly because of that book. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant book. And she loves writers, doesn't she? And she loves healing and women uh, and she's fantastic. Yeah, amazing woman. So fantastic. Yes. And I had I had done this process. It's 12 week, 12 chapters of spiritually, creatively recovering, essentially. And I kind of looked back and saw okay, I think in all of this like empty void, it was the void that I was afraid of. That was, that was what I was afraid of facing was the unknown and the mystery of life, right? That I just didn't, um, I, I didn't have any answers to now that all of these things I thought were certain, I found them to be uncertain. And so entering that void, I was like, okay, I think this is what Julia was talking about. This is the time to go into like all of my creative dreams that I had unearthed. And one of them was moving to New York and being on SNL. Like that was my true north. And I was like, if an wow. SNL is Saturday Night Live, it's a yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was yeah, like, fantastic. that's <laughs> this is like my dream. Like, okay, maybe I'm barfing every other day because I'm not living my truth. I'm not living my, you know, creative, my creative dreams. And I started to make some decisions and I inched my way in. It wasn't like this, you know, overnight success kind of thing of like, okay, now that I realize that creativity is the answer, I no longer have an eating disorder. But it was like slowly putting one pebble from the eating disorder bucket into the creativity bucket. And, you know, sometimes the pebbles would spill back over, but it was just like making a decision to direct my energy differently than I had been. I completely relate to that completely Mm. because I think if you, if you want to be creative, particularly if you want to make a living and be paid for being creative. I think if you are bulimic, I know people have eating disorders and are very successful, but I think it's a very easy way to constantly get rid of your creativity. So you don't have to do the work, you know, so it just becomes like, it remains a fantasy and you're constantly being sick and then you're exhausted and you just, yes, it's always putting it off. So that I think for me, and clearly what you're saying, the link between creativity and bulimia uh, is, is huge, is huge. Absolutely. That's, that's how I see it. It's like, we have 
our energy is actually very, it's neutral. It's just, it's just what it is. It's this life force energy we have moving through us and the way that we channel it, that's where we have some agency. Um, although like, I also want to say that like it's it, having an eating disorder. It doesn't feel like a choice. It's not a choice really. It's just, you know, uh, maybe a symptom of avoidance, but it's not something that we're often conscious of. So I just want to say that for anyone listening who's like, well, that's not my experience. Like I am a a total victim to this disease. Like that's true. Like there's, there is, that is true on some level. And also it's also true that the reason why we're a victim to this disease is because it's there to show us um, that, that, that there's something that we need to look at. So it's, there's no shaming here. You know, this is all very neutral the way that I see it. It's like, um, as soon as we kind of remove the charge of all that energy, all that intensity, we can actually direct it into, um, where it wants to go, direct it with love, direct it with like compassion for those parts that we want to hide. And the yeah, I often say that like I made food and my body my creative project. So I was actually expending a lot of creative energy, but I was just turning it as against myself in sort of a weaponized way. And yeah, recovery is just about putting that into a right relationship and flow with life. How, um, yeah, 100%. How... So you did your, you did the Julia Cameron book, the course. How did you stay on course? How did you stay with it? Did you have further treatment? Did you speak to people? What, what, what happened afterwards? Mm, Or did you just keep going on your own, own, on your own path? I've used it path. (laughs) That's great. Um, I, so I had actually done it with a friend who I knew from, um, we did improv comedy together and we had done it before my bulimia started. So there was some time where, you know, I was kind of in more of that controlling stage and that's when I did the artist way, but bringing it back in while the bulimia was, um, taking hold was more about like, I actually part of, so part of my recovery really had to do with starting to date someone new, um, who I talk, I talk about in my book, actually, it's, it's incredible how having somebody close to me, like I basically, he was the first person that I really opened up to about the, the depth of my eating disorder and the depth of this, of this pain and this wound. And like, I, I was afraid to look at it myself and just having somebody who is willing to just be there with me. It wasn't even like, you know, I I feel like for some people, their therapist is this person. And for me, it wasn't even that he was like, he wasn't even saying anything particularly like profound or helpful. It was just that he was there willing to witness me in my deepest, darkest depths and just be, be with me. And that's quite something, isn't it? Because, um, it can really knock people off balance. Oh, totally. Yes. 
And as soon as I detected, if I would start to share with someone and I detected their discomfort, I pulled back immediately. I was like, oh, but I'm fine. I totally diffused the tension and minimized it. Yeah, I didn't share anything about it for a long time. I think I had one friend who knew about it and actually he was overweight. So that kind of gave me a freedom to talk about it. And he was, very, this is ages ago. Gosh, this is like 20, 30 years ago. But he was very non-judgmental about it um, and caring. And uh, hmm. he was really the only person I spoke about it for, for quite a long time. But yeah, to hold your ground in the midst of someone else's um, trauma and pain is is really quite something. And there is something about eating disorders that I keep talking about and, and sort of flagging up with people that, there's a, there is a lot of shame around eating disorders, and I think people find it very hard to hear that maybe you're eating and throwing up or you're starving or whatever you're doing. It comes with a lot of shame. Mm. Yes, totally. I have I, – in, in one part of my book, I quote Glennon Doyle who says, um, it's not the pain that brings us down. It's the shame around the pain. Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah, that touches me so deeply because. So what was the shame for you? Was the shame, the original shame about hating your body? Did you feel uncomfortable in it or were you just critical of it and wanted it to be different? Mm. A little bit of both. Like actually the way I experienced any sort of negative emotion or discontentment, like whenever I was in a high pressure situation, I blamed my body. Like the clearest example I can think of is every single time in high school before going to a dance or like getting ready for something, um, I would just have a complete tantruming meltdown with my mom as we're like curling my hair and blah, blah, blah. And like, I just felt so big. I felt so wrong. It was like, I just, the the truth is like, there was probably some anxiety and like feeling like I wouldn't be good enough and all of these fears yeah. that are, are very normal to have, you know, but I couldn't even touch what those were because I was just too busy using my body as a scapegoat. And of course, wow. so I'd have this huge meltdown, you know, like whatever it was, it's like, my hair's not perfect. My underarms are flabby. I need to blah, blah, blah. And then my date would come <laughs> over. I'm like, hey, I'm ready to go to prom. Let's go. I'm fun, Katie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that was, that's a pretty good representation of my whole journey with it, really. Like it's my journey again. Um, but, you know, it would kind of be this flip flop of like, that that crying tantruming toddler was like underneath all of this like everything's great in my life everything's perfect i'm so happy blah 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 and yeah yeah it was a very um the shame came from like wanting to suppress that wanting nobody to see what i really was which was just so confused and and yeah, distraught. And there was all of this that I couldn't accept in myself. I couldn't even look at it. So you'll like this question, being creative. Uh, where did you feel the shame in your body? And if the, sh- if the shame was a character, do you, know, do you know what it looked like or what it looks like? Mm. 
Yeah, I do like this question. Um, let me think about <laughs> <sighs> like putting putting myself back into that place. It was like this, mm, like it almost okay. It feels like an oozing, like green monster that actually populated my entire body. So filled me out from under my skin wow. and just like pressed against me. So it was just like, oh, like it felt, it felt like this expanding balloon emotion that I was like, oh God, no, no one's, everyone's going to see it. You know, they could see it because it's pressing against my skin. It's making me fat. It's making me, you know, and yeah. And, and the truth is that, sorry, go on. Um, no, no, you're great. Um, I, does that still happen? Um, sure, but le- less so. It doesn't feel, yeah. it feels, um, and it's it's actually, I don't know if it happens less, but the tension is less because I've learned, yeah. you know, it's a hard learned lesson, but like when pain comes, it is, there is no resisting it. If I resist it, that's where, that's what pain is. Pain is resisting yeah what wants to flow through. And if, as soon as I decide to allow it and to ride with it and to let it move me, how it wants to move me, it's no longer that pressing against me because the truth is the pain was never pressing against me. It was me pressing back on it. It was me resisting it saying, no, 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 no. To my energy. Pain is just energy. I think that comes with um, experience, doesn't it? And maybe a bit of age. Um, Mm. and once you make the decision that you want to feel different and live a different life, that moment, that pivotal moment, when you say that that's enough, I've had enough, I'm not going to, this is not going to happen anymore. Yes. That's right. Like I, I need to have a different approach to this because yeah. It'll keep hitting you again and again until you finally surrender. That's really what it is. It's like, oh, okay, I surrender. I surrender what I think things should be, and I'm willing to accept what is. Okay, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. Today I'm talking to Katie Barbaro. And um, yeah, Katie was talking about surrender. And um, it wasn't just Julia Cameron and the artist way that got her to where she is today. Uh, there, were, there were other things that happened. So could you could you tell us a bit more, Katie, about how you did recover? Yes. Yeah. So it happened in waves, of course. And doing the artist way got me to move to New York and pursue acting and stand up with more of my full-time energy, which was like really felt like such a commitment to myself. You know, like I was following through on all of these promises I had made to myself in my life. Like I would live somewhere new. I would, you know, I would do acting for reals and it felt so empowering. And of course, in on the eating disorder track, I was like, 
I'm doing great. But of course, like I wasn't throwing up as much, but I was still restricting, which I didn't even understand as a concept at the time. So I was still very um, militant about my food. I was, I was pretty, um, you know, I, I kept it very uh, structured and that it was, it kind of kept food quiet for a little while. Um, but what happened was like probably four or five months into living in New York, maybe even longer. I, um, we had some visitors come and that rocked my new New York life. Right. I had started, I basically felt like recovery to me. I was like, I'm, I'm totally over bulimia. I've got it under control. Famous last words. And what happened was all of a sudden we're like going out to eat and things are different. My routine is all messed up. And I had like just the biggest relapse ever where I couldn't ignore it anymore. I'm sure I had had many relapses, you know, in the process, but I was just like, oh, it was just a brunch or like, oh, it was just a something, you know, really minimizing it, but I couldn't look away anymore. And I was like, okay, I need to like actually Google some bulimia outpatient centers. I need to like really get serious about getting help because I feel so willing right now. And that week I was actually writing stand up with a friend and mentioned I was doing some material about my eating disorder. And she said, Oh my gosh, are you in OA? I'm in OA. And I was like, No, I've never, what is that? And she told me about um, Overeaters Anonymous, which, and I'll say something about the name, like Overeaters, like the reason I was overeating and binging sometimes was because I was actually restricting. But, you know, that's, neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. Basically I was like, okay, a group of like-minded people, like I, I, I just like, I saw that Julia Cameron talks about synchronicities so often, which is like when we're kind of in the flow of our lives, we hear the things that we need to hear, the, the opportunities that, that like are perfect for us come up. And this was one of those moments for me where I was just like, yes, like I, I need this. I, I, I'm not, as recovered as I thought I was like, I need something more. And my, my journey with that was incredibly like, oh my God. Like I walked into these rooms and it was just like, I could, I heard so many stories that like resonated with my story. I was like, oh my gosh, these people are just like sharing all of the things I had been so ashamed of, you know, like, wow. uh, oh, sneaking, fing sneaking fingerfuls of peanut butter out of the fridge at night. Like when I <laughs> am anxious about something, you know, just like yeah. little things that I'm like, oh, I can never tell anybody about this. All of a sudden I had a room full of strangers who like didn't bat an eye at the crazy things I was doing with food. Did and you find it easy to share or did you, did you feel competitive anyway? Or were you so relieved to be there that you just went for it? I think my first meeting, I barely shared. I, I was like, I just kind of took everything in. I actually heard this other woman sharing about how she had been a, a year without binging and purging. And like that the moment she decided to come into the rooms was when her fiance told her he couldn't be with her if he, she continued to do this because she was killing herself. Oh, wow. And yeah, and like that hit me. I was like, 
And I remember thinking, I remember having the choice to let it hit me or to say, I'm not like her. I'm not as bad as her. And I was like, no, 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 Katie, just let this hit you. Let this be, let this be a wake up call. This can be it. You can decide to just turn it over and like go all in. And yeah, I think that's what really, really led me to surrender as fully as I did. And it wasn't until months later, actually like seven months into being in program that I actually had, um, I, I, I was feeling so good, like so amazingly, like, oh my gosh, a new level of recovery. Um, that I, I had never felt before. And then I went home for the holidays and had a relapse. And of course, this is like very, very detailed in my book, spoiler alert, but there's plenty of other things huh. in it. Um, but I went home and had a relapse and that relapse really shook me even more to the core. Like this whole journey was really about like taking off layer after layer of, right? Like there were all of these layers encasing who I really was. And here was another layer of like, okay, there's more truth to see. There's more honesty underneath the surface that, that you're avoiding or that you need to look at. And so that relapse got me really humble. And I was like, okay, the way that I'm doing program actually isn't as, as deep as I could be doing it. Like I wasn't working with a sponsor regularly to go through the steps. And I was like, okay, that's it. That's it. I need, I, I need to get a sponsor and just do what they said. And it was like, and I was looking steps, for sponsors. Yeah. yeah. I was like shopping around too much. You know, I was like, oh, but they're not, no, they don't have the kind of recovery that I want. No, this isn't, this isn't right. Or like, oh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 no you surrender. You just, you just pick someone and you go down that path and you just let yourself, you know, it was, yeah, it was so, uh, it, 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 it actually put me in, in touch with my own powerlessness that made it possible sure. for me to surrender. Yeah. Well, that's the first step, isn't it? Absolutely. Admit that you're powerless. Yeah. yeah. Do you have experience in a program? Um, I do. I didn't go to OA. I was talking about this with someone the other day because I felt very competitive mm. because I was still in denial. I did a lot of, um, I haven't got an eating disorder. I haven't got an eating disorder. I'm absolutely fine for years and years and years and years and years. Um, mm. I had one-on-one -on -one therapy. I think that's what I needed. Well, I had several therapists actually. Um, I have done other things. In a twelve, in a twelve, in a twelve, in a twelve-step mm. context, I've done other things. Mm. I Beautiful. have friends who've done very well with it as well. Mm. So, yeah, well, oh, well, congratulations. That's what I want to say to you. Did <laughs> when did you start thinking about writing the book? Which I have, I'll be honest, I haven't read all of it. It's and I, but what I have read is absolutely brilliant. Mm. And obviously we're going to link at the end about to, to, so listeners can get hold of it. Um, it's fantastic. It's beautifully drawn and it's funny mm. and insightful and wise and clever and honest. So when tell, tell us about the book. When did that all start? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. It's, 
I started drawing cartoons to help myself understand the absolute insanity of being a person. You know, like I would have these ridiculous, just, just like coping with these emotions, basically all of the things that I used to blame my body for. I was like, how do I process this when I don't have my coping mechanisms anymore? And one of the ways that I started processing it was, was by just drawing snarky cartoons in my notebook. And I would sometimes post them on Instagram, you know, like they were, um, they were so helpful for me to see through the lies that my, my disordered brain, um, was telling me. And so that modality felt just like really fun and playful to me. Like I love making light of the darkness. It just gives it less power. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And actually I was sitting down, I, I could just feel like it, this, the book wasn't something that I felt that I did. I didn't do, I didn't write the book. It, I allowed it to be written through me. Like I really, yeah. yeah, it just wanted to come out. And I think I didn't even realize, like, I I thought I was going to sit down and write a book about something else, about how I, uh, like packed my life into a suitcase and traveled the world for a year by myself. Like I thought that that was going to be the story that I told, but when I sat down to write, this is what needed to come out first. It was like order of operations. This is, this is foundational to the, the life that I have. And how long did it take you? Well, I guess like the first draft of it, I wrote in about, um, maybe four or five months. And it was during this lockdown period, actually, where, I mean, with me and creative projects, like I'm a very good starter and I'm a, you know, fair to poor finisher. And so it was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I need, I was, you know, I, I was, I had just been, uh, talking with my publisher, who's a good friend of mine. And like, he was like, I think you need a book deal to really commit to this. I was like, okay, cool. I've got a book deal. I'm going to do this. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, the the universe is telling me just go sit in your apartment by yourself, Katie, and just write, just write the story, just let it out. And, you know, I had plans to be traveling to Bali that got canceled and all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, yep, this is very clear, this message from the universe to just be still and write and let my story come out so that was how it happened and so how how can people get hold of of your wonderful memoir sure they can find it on my website it's katiebarbaro.com slash fed up and you can also find me on instagram at at fed up the book yeah. And yeah, that's I'm I'm pretty active on there more or less and I run that myself for now. <laughs> um for yeah, now, I yeah. I would love to yeah, I'd love to connect. This is I feel so yeah, it's it's that feeling of of having been a silent prisoner of this for so long that I just I want to scream it from the rooftops like you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, that's just it's just wonderful. And I think also because it's cartoons it just takes the edge off a little bit and 
if you don't want to read, you can look at the pictures. I know that sounds very simplistic, like I mean, three yes. years old, but um, it's just it's just another way, isn't it? It's just another way of getting your message across. And um, mm. yeah, it's terrific. It's it's a really good read, really good read. Before we go, what uh, what five foods would you take to an island? Oh my gosh! Wow, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, if they don't already, you can have, have whatever you want. Okay, okay. If they are, don't already have juicy mangoes on this island, I would take a bunch of mangoes. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I would also be pretty into having like poached eggs on toast. Is that two foods? <laughs> or no, one? you're. I'm letting you. I'm letting you. Yeah. Okay, you great. It. I can have it. And um, I would, oh poached eggs on avocado toast. I would say. Um, okay. And like really good porridge with like peanut butter and chocolate. Like I do porridge a really fun way. <laughs> You're um, really cheating. But yeah. I'm really <laughs> cheating. I mean, you could count that as like all five of my foods. Um, <laughs> it sounds right. Pe- okay. That sounds good. Yeah. Everyone says peanut butter. It's fantastic. I'm a big fan too. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so yes. much for sharing with us today. And um, yeah, um, it's just, it's so... Uh, life affirming that people do get better mm. and to hear how, how how you get better and mm. uh, it, it's just great to be to be part of that so thank you katie thank you very much for coming on this food thing podcast thank you so much Gemma. thank you for creating this space it's really beautiful and so so wonderful oh. to talk with you thank you thank you Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favourite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at This Food Thing Podcast or join us again in the next episode. <laughs>